Hello and welcome to The Price of Everything. My special guest this week is a very good friend of mine, David Fuller. David Fuller, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very so, much. Great so to David, be. you're from effectively Fuller Tracy Money. Would you like to say a bit about who, who what that is? Absolutely. I've been running research services for my whole career. I've been a full-time analyst and a private investor, uh, really. And Fuller Tracy Money is an online service that just caters to people who are interested in global investments and also like to look at price charts so they can see where they are in the cycle and what's going on around the world. So you'd, you'd, you'd identify with being a chartist then? That, that would be a fair description, would it? Well, I, I think my approach would be different than most people, but uh, I used to teach courses on this, as you know, but uh, my feeling is it's all about behavioral technical analysis. It's all about people. It's all that, about that the study of That sounds suspiciously like having your cake and eating it to me, but, but go on. Well, uh, you know, who, who moves the market? Mm. And so it's not a, it's not a mathematical system. Um, it's all about crowd psychology. And that's what is revealed by the, uh, by the charts. I mean, we've both been working in the markets for some time, um, and it, it strikes me that Certainly from my experience, city firms have always tended to, to polarize between technicals and fundamentals. And the technicals, as per the charts, were always, in my experience, were always treated as some kind of arcane science that was kind of a bit like witchcraft that may or may not work. And so for as long as I've worked, the last 25 years, fundamentals have, have kind of been winning the battle, albeit maybe not winning the investment return battle, but that's been where the conventional wisdoms Centered. Would you, would, does that tally with your experience? Well, I think if we take any profession, whether it's the technical approach to markets or the fundamental approach to markets, economists, we can say that you've got maybe five or, if you're lucky, 10% who are very, very good. And at the bottom of the pile, you had to have the same statistic. And everywhere else mm -hmm. is somewhere in the middle. It's what, you, what you're able to do with it. And uh, I, I, I think that, again, I'm a global strategist. Uh, how, how am I going to do that on fundamentals? It's sure. almost it's too subjective, it's, isn't it? It's, it's almost subjective. A, incredibly subjective. It's almost impossible. Where is the money going? Mm. That, to me, is the big story. Of course, I want to know what's behind it, if it is possible to, to know what is behind it, and overcome those psychological subjective hurd hurdles. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, just being able to see relative strength, seeing momentum trends, seeing euphoric, uh, over-accelerating trends, uh, those, are the, those are the big challenges, and, and those are what help so much with the, with the timing in the markets, and that's all about charts. And on the topic of technical analysis or charts, are there any particular uh, reference materials you'd recommend, books, or a, a favorite? Think something that's, that's, that's influenced you, that's helped you in that analysis? <clears throat> well, I didn't learn anything about technical analysis until I taught a course on it. At, uh, no, no false humility in Position that. Position heal thyself. It was in 1969 at the New York Institute of Finance, and I was asked to teach a course because my boss's uh, social life was complicated, and it mm -hmm. was an evening course. And, um, you know, I'd read the books, and, uh, but then people started saying, asking awkward questions such as why. Yeah. Why are you saying that? I didn't know. And so I had to reason through it. And I 
moved, when I moved to London in 19, at the end of 1969 and started my own course. And it's, it gradually developed over the years. And now my good close colleague, Owen Tracy at Fuller Tracy Money, teaches the, uh, the course on technical analysis. So that's ongoing, isn't it? That's it's still ongoing. Still Every single year there's one coming up uh, next, uh, next month here in London. So let's move to the strategic side of things. And we can't really talk about markets without talking about what I think is probably the, the pivotal event of perhaps my lifetime, Brexit. So what are, your, what are your thoughts on that topic? It is certainly the pivotal item of my lifetime um, as well. Uh, I was very, very much pro-Brexit after a sort of a torturous period of do we or not, and you've got to be open, uh, have an open mind to what the risks are. But no, I think it's all about uh, this country uh, getting its sovereignty mm. back, making its own laws, controlling its own borders, negotiating its own trade terms, not just with the closed shop EU, which is uh, a failing act anyway, mm. but with the, the wider world that, um, you know, 85, 90% of the world out there that's not part of the, uh, part of the EU. Are you surprised at the, the degree to which this, this debate became so hostile on, from both sides, the degree of polarization, particularly amongst the millennials, the so-called millennials? Well, I think, I, I, I think there, it, it, we can say that the fear, scare tactics, uh, I voted conservative my whole life, but, uh, and I certainly voted for Cameron, and, and George Osborne was a reasonably good chancellor. But the propaganda campaign was utterly shocking. It was the fear, the fear campaign. And people picked up on this. And it just blew around the, around the world. Uh, it was a good story for the, for the press. And today, I'm still shocked at how ignorant, if I may use that word, the United States press is mm. regarding what, uh, what Brexit is all about. They think it's some kind of Trump thing, which is mm. ridiculous. Well, I, I was struck. There was a line I saw probably from Twitter, which is a guilty pleasure to which I in which I indulge from time to time. It was along the lines of that the people currently up in arms, the millennials up in arms about Brexit are the same people who are chasing imaginary Pokemon characters. But that's, <laughs> that may or may not be unfair. Um, well, well, they, but, but, but for a long time, <clears throat> we all thought, uh, oh, it's going to be all wonderful and kumbaya and holding hands as, we, as Europe goes forward. Uh, this is a very undemocratic, uh, also quite corrupt. They make rules on the hop. It's mm -hmm. run by Germany and France. All you have to do, if you say, might, you might say, well, David, you're, you're obviously against the EU. Look at the unemployment in the southern European yeah, countries. It's, it's shocking. Mm. Look at the downturn. Particularly the youth unemployment. Oh, oh, it's shocking, shocking. When you have 35, 40, 40 percent. And look also um, at the, the way economies have just gradually deteriorated, even the so-called successful mm. economies. Germany, its growth rate is pretty abysmal. And, and so I, the whole thing's falling apart, and yet people are still running, wanting to run back into the, to the burning bar. The burning it's, building, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that my take on markets is heavily influenced. I think we're influenced by what we experience. And for me, the first 10 years of my career, I spent in the fixed income market. So for me, I tend to look at the world through the prism of debt, of, of, of mm -hmm. credit markets. My take would be there's, there's, there's so much debt in the system now with the, the, some kind of reset is 
all but inevitable. The thousand pound gorilla in the room is a problem that hasn't yet been addressed. The debt pile, as we know from McKinsey, is, is grown by 57 trillion since, since Lehman Brothers. Mm -hmm. So you, the, the world governments are effectively faced with a pretty stark choice between trying to engineer growth, which in Europe is probably impossible, uh, default, repudiation, jubilee, reset, call it what you will, and then the third box is marked inflation. Mm -hmm. And I sus my own suspicion is it's the inflation box that will carry the day because it's the most politically palatable. Uh, yes, uh, yes, it actually is. And we've had a 36-year bull market in government bonds in, in terms rate. of falling, yeah. falling yields. Uh, that's got to be close to a record, if, if not a major record, and it's a bubble. Yeah. And there's a lot of complacency, understandably, because it's, it's worked so well on a total return basis. But that's a very dangerous situation. And, and I think the debt problem, I, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not hysterical about it, uh, but governments, any smart government, um, has got to be borrowing as much as they possibly can at these extremely low interest rates that go out 40 or 50 years. Uh, because rates are going to go up. Does, does your analysis give you a, any sense? Because this is the, the question that everybody in finance gets asked all the time today. When's this thing going to turn? When's this super tanker going to turn around? Yes. Does, do you have a view on that? Well, the trouble with analysis, as you know, well, there are lots of troubles, but it's very easy. You can see something coming, and you tend to, um, it tends to become telescoped in your, in, in your, in your mind and then it takes longer for it to play out. <clears throat> and that's been the case for really quite some time. But look at what's going on right now. We have people who are saying, a lot of economists, central bankers, are saying, for crying out loud, get fiscal spending going. We can't rely on central banks to go on doing this. The Fed is uh, up in arms about the fact that these incredibly low interest rates are so bad for banking sectors. Uh, they're causing all kinds of distortions in the market. So they want to get back towards a normalization of, of interest rates. And that's, uh, we, we do indeed need to, 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 to achieve that. But it'll be choppy, mm. certainly choppy in the markets, and particularly for, for bonds. And then inflation. People are saying there's never going to be any inflation again. Well, I don't know if you have um, children in school or grand. I have grandchildren. I'm a child of the 70s, so I remember very, very loosely what inflation oh my can, God. can do. Yes, yes. Well, I don't think we'll get to that again, largely because of technology. Technology has an incredibly helpful De deflating aspect. Deflating aspect, hugely, um, hugely important. But it's also technology is also terrifying, and it's part of the reason why people are frightened here because the technology is so disruptive. Well, there are implications for jobs, clearly. Well, yes, yes. We, we are in an era which I think is in, uh, incredibly exciting. As you know, I've talked about it uh, for, for, for the last uh, seven, eight years. We're in an era of accelerating technological innovation. Mm -hmm. You just look back at 10 years ago and how much technology has improved back since then. Look back. Uh, t 20 years, go back to the 70s, mm. which you mentioned, what kind of technology well, None of us could have? afford a computer back then. Uh, exactly, exactly. And, and uh, we hold phones that have more power than... The Apollo missions did. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So within this context of a potential reset, 
possibly a normalization, maybe a somewhat disorderly normalization of interest rates. Would you have any preferred investment uh, at the, the sort of 30,000 feet level looking down on this from a macro? Any, any, any preferred themes, investment sectors, asset classes? Yes, definitely. But for, first, first point I would make to investors generally, uh, this is a time to be cautious. Everybody was terrified in 2009, 10, 11, 12, absolutely terrified of a repeat of the crash. Now people are a little bit uh, almost complacent. Um, and in, also, do you think here. people have become a little bit desensitized to the enormous sums of bailout money and, and everything that's been involved? Uh, you know, people bandy terms like trillions around now as if it's, you know, it's confetti. I, I, th I think that's, that, that's a, a very valid point. And <clears throat> so the bottom line here, don't pay up. Mm. Um, buy on setbacks. Don't chase things. Sure. If you have something that's... Don't overpay. Don't, don't overpay. And if you're holding something that's performing really, really well, have a mental trailing stop at least uh, where you would want to come out and, 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 and stick to that. Now, on a long -term, longer term basis, so, so what my feeling is over the next three, four years, we can expect very choppy, convulsive markets. Not a big crash, not another 2008. And Maybe a good environment for trading, for trading. For well, traders. well, it's going to be... Volatility by the sound of it. Yes, but it's going to be a bit scary. And yeah. trading is complicated by these dumb machines, mm. which are run by R2D2 young techies. R2-D2 and C3PO. <laughs> And, and, and they, they exacerbate uh, a, a lot of the volatility in here. It's definitely buy low, sell high, and observe uh, monetary discipline. Watch Wall Street, mm. because that's the really, really... You've, you've referred in the past to the Wall Street leash effect. That, uh, absolutely, uh, the Wall Street leash effect. And it's more powerful now than ever before because people were saying, it was very fashionable to say 10, 20 years ago, oh, the U.S. is in decline. Mm. Well, the U.S. Is, is in a very powerful position. It has appalling politics. We know, we know that. It has nutty gun rules. Mm. But the United States uh, is the technology leader. It's greatly increased its technology lead uh, over the last uh, 15, uh, 15 years or so. And that is uh, a powerful tool. Also, it has energy independence, effectively. Mm. It can, it can, uh, what other country can, can claim that? Just to, then, sorry to interrupt. Does that mean you, you see that the like, prospects for oil and the energy sector have, have dramatically changed over the course of the last oh, decade? Oh, 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 utterly, utterly. Remember, we, we turned the century in fear that uh, people have been telling us for decades that the lights would all be going out and uh, we'd be running out of oil and virtually everything else. Well, let's get back to technology. Um, and technology made it vastly easier to find all this. The fracking, that's an unbelievably important story. Every country has the potential to develop oil via, via fracking, virtually every, every country. Will they do it? Well, the UK, fortunately, is finally getting the fracking project. So I'm hearing some, some, some positive mood music from this. Well, well, one, yes. one last question, yes. unfortunately, because time is against us. Precious metals, do you have yes. a view on the metals? I, I do. Uh, you've, you've got to have a precious metal long hedge uh, in here, most definitely. Um, so the, the, the attractive sectors, cyclical one, yeah. have precious metals. But take a longer term view, it's going to be biotechnology 
and also big tech companies like Amazon. I don't want to pay way up uh, here at today's prices for Amazon, but when we get the shakeouts yeah. and the dramatic downward reversions, that'll be the time to be buying these top tech companies, most of which uh, belong to or have their home of origin in the, in the United States. I wish we could speak longer, and maybe we will in the future. But <laughs> in the meantime, David Fuller, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've been Tim Price, a manager of the VT Price Value Portfolio. Hope to see you again soon. Thanks again, David. Thank you very much.